0: We are in week five of our series, The Followers Trail Guide, where we're doing a deep dive, a deep dive into the farewell discourse of Jesus in John's chapter 13 through 16. Um, and it's basically the last things that Jesus taught his disciples so that they can be prepared to be following him as he goes and heads to the crucifixion. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is a great space and great time to join us in the sermon series. We want to connect with you. You can do that in using the QR codes and the seat back in front of you, or if you're joining us online, you can do that by typing in the comments below you, right? And if you've missed a few sermons, that's okay, but I want to encourage you to go back, go back and listen to the podcast, um, go onto Facebook, watch the sermon replays, um, because all these things build up on one another, right? And we're gonna be in John chapter 15 today. Um, but before we go there, I-, I want you to tap your neighbor and ask your neighbor, what kind of fruit describes you? Man, there's a lot of laughter. Make sure, make sure you get your neighbors. And here's the reason why I wanted to ask you that question, right? Because today we are talking about fruit. We're talking about fruit, right? That's why it's such a good week to join. But, you know, the the point of that exercise is, number one, I want you to get to know your neighbors. We want to be loving. We want to be neighborly. Um, Get their contact information. Check in on them. Check to see how their fruit is doing. Um, But let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us. You gave us your word for our instruction that through your scripture that we're going to have hope. We're going to have hope and we're going to have encouragement and we're going to receive it from you. We're going to receive it from your word. And, Lord, we desperately need hope today because, God, we are living in a hopeless time. We need your word to challenge us to, to, toward harmony, toward loving one another. Because God, there, there are some here who are coming in, feeling and experiencing the tension and stress of strife. Lord, if that's a situation, let forgiveness come. Let your restoration come. Let your healing come. God, you gave us a strong obligation to bear with one another, but God, as a community, we, we want to go from a posture of just bearing with one another to building one another up. Help us build one another up in faithfulness to you, especially in those areas of our faith where it resulted in failure, it resulted in sin, it resulted in destruction. God, build us up in our weaknesses. Help us build each other up in our weaknesses, God. Help us cover each other. Lord, you give us our, your commandments and you say th- this is how, you, how we know we love you, by following it. And Lord, we love you. Lord, let, let us follow your commandments. Let us glorify you with one voice that you are a God that you will not be deterred from loving us. Lord, let your name be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, we're going to be in the first 11 verses today. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full you see the conclusion of this passage is simple that the disciples of jesus produce fruitful lives the disciples of jesus produce fruitful lives and we have to have And to have a fruitful life, we need to recognize our purpose, number one. And number two, we need to remain in Jesus. And the result of having a fruitful life is joy. Who wants joy in their life? Anybody? There's not enough of you who raised your hand. You don't want joy, (laughs) right? All of us want joy. And the reason we want joy is because if all of us was full of joy, if we had joy we'd be living in a better society, we'd be living in a better culture because if people in our culture and our society had joy and was filled with joy, we wouldn't get so upset so easily, would we? We would be a little more agreeable. We wouldn't act so selfishly. We would actually smile when I'm preaching so I'm not so lonely up here, right? I mean, I I wanna make a distinction, right? Between joy and happiness because joy is an internal feeling, right? It's a demeanor. It's cultivated, it's constant, it's eternal. But happiness, happiness is the external expression of feelings. It's a mood. It's momentary, it's fleeting, right? And if you get what you want enough times, you're not happy anymore. It's harder to become happy, right? So we want a joy that is constant, that's unfading, that's undeterred as a fruitful disciple, you might not always be happy, but your countenance will reflect God's joy in the face of all circumstances. That's what we want. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says to his disciples, you're going to bear fruit that's going to glorify God. I want to unpack this passage some more. Um, Let's go back to verse one. We're going to stop at verse one for, for a little minute. Verse one says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And the reason I want to pause right here one second is because I want all of us to understand the the cultural and historical context that Jesus is speaking to, right? Um, Specifically, he, I think, is speaking about Psalm 80. He's making this reference in Psalm 80, but it could also refer to Isaiah or to Jeremiah. But the context of Psalm 80 is a prayer. The psalmist writes a prayer to God saying, God, you need to restore the nation of Israel. And you need to restore the nation of Israel from its oppressors through the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is planted by God. And the reason God needs to restore his chosen people through his Son is threefold. First, so that God's people would experience the restoration that they need before him. Second, that they would not turn away from God. And third, so that God's people would become what God had always created and intended them to be. I want to read parts of Psalm 80 for us, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7. You don't have to open there, but it says this. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. I'm going to skip to verse 17. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. The vine in the psalm is the nation of Israel, right? The nation of Israel, the history of Israel is that as slaves, God liberated Israel, the nation from Egypt, and they came out. And they came out of Egypt Journeying across the wilderness, and then they got to the promised land where they would have to conquer the nations that were there. God conquered the nations for Israel, despite all things, right? And so, what happens is the vine in the psalm is Israel, right? It's the nation of Israel. And so, what the, the psalmist is doing is saying, hey, let's remember back to when God planted his vine in the promised land when he took us out of Egypt. Now, What the psalmist is prophesying and i don't know that the psalmist knows that he was prophesying it was that jesus the son of man also came out of egypt you see jesus went to egypt to flee genocide that was happening when herod was king and so joseph prompted by the angels takes his family including jesus to egypt to escape genocide and jesus is called back to israel where jesus is planted as king but not in the ways that we think but in the way that only God can do. So what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the true vine, is well, he's upending traditional views of identity and belonging. And he's moving it from an ethnic and political, physical place of a nation to a person, to the person of Jesus. And, and what, what that does is it changes the chosen people of God. It opens it up from just being someone from a certain place to people who belong to a person. And that's historic. That's monumental, right? Because God's chosen family, previously rooted in a place, is now rooted in a person. And that's amazing. Because if Jesus is the true vine and we are Jesus' children, then we are God's chosen right? That changes everything for us. That changes the way we live, and that changes our status. So if we had self-image issues, if we had issues about self-confidence because of where we came from, whose family we were born into, our social economic status, that all goes away because Jesus is the true vine. That is where identity is planted. That is who we are in. That is who we're rooted in. And so now God is going to do for Jesus what he was going to do for Israel and what he has done and he's going to glorify himself through Jesus and as a result and a benefit for us because we're rooted in Jesus we receive the glory of God we get to witness it and experience it ourselves right that's the reason why because our identity and belonging come from God the Father because Jesus is our true vine that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ that's the reason that we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us because he is our vine. That's the reason all things with God is possible, because we are his servants, right? We are children of God, not because you were born somewhere at a certain place to a certain family, but because God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be planted and rooted in this world so that all who would believe in him would not perish, but be chosen. We would be chosen. And if you've never believed that, or if you had trouble believing that, or if you don't believe that, believe it today. Believe it today because it is impossible to live up to the demands of a holy God without Jesus, without Jesus being the true vine, without him saying, I have done for you what you cannot do for yourself, right? And that's all that matters. That's all that matters for us because we belong to Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, and how God glorifies Jesus, not only in his death, but his resurrection. That's what we believe. That's why we have assurances in this life. Jesus, the son of God, is a true vine. Now on the flip side, if Jesus is a true vine, Jesus says that God the Father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser. A vine dresser is not just a simple farmer that clears, takes care of the, the plants that he's planting in that one season where it's harvested. A vine dresser takes care of his or her vines for the entirety of a vine's life. And for you wine aficionados, the reason why good wines come from a certain place is because the vine dresser have been, has been cultivating those wines for a while, has been cultivating those grapes for a while, and takes care of it to yield the grapes that he or she wants for those wines, right? It's the reason why the same box wines come from the same places and are always on sale right? Because they're not good vine dressers, right? But now God, right? This is what Jesus is saying, right? God isn't in it for the short term. He's not just trying to do something short term for one season. He's doing it for eternity. He's doing it for His Son forever, right? The glory of the vine dresser is in His vines, right? And so if we are in His vines, the glory of God is in us. It's coming to us, right? It's going to leaf through us, right? The Father glorifies the Son through the Spirit in creation and in grace for eternity, that's what the bible says right so we receive the benefits of the father glorifying his true vine let's go to verse 2 we'll see this right there each branch every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit that's amazing that's amazing and this might not be new to some of you this idea of pruning but it's new to me cuz i only started gardening since covid right um during covid i found enough time to start gardening and so what I learned in three years of gardening, it took me three years to learn this, is that if you prune a plant, the fruit that comes from that plant tastes better and it grows more effectively. You can harvest it faster. Did, did you all notice? I'm sure you all did because you, you've all spent more time gardening than I have. Right? And, and so you know, th- this is a great thing. right? And so this idea, the idea of pruning is interesting because the idea of pruning is taking something that's living and cutting it off for the sake of the whole, right? That's what pruning is because the branch that you cut off from a plant is still alive. And the reason you do this is because every single branch on a vine or on a plant sucks the energy out of the entire plant. It takes and diverts energy away. And if it's not producing enough, you cut it off so that the parts that are producing will produce better, right? Because you have a limited number of energy, right? That's what it is. And so when, when we talk about pruning, and our lives, we, we look at our lives like a plant. Some of us, we, we, we're producing fruit, but most of us, most of, the, most of us, we are just unfocused. We, we, we're like this plant that's unpruned. We have little fruits growing here and there and everywhere, right? And we're spread so thin, our energy is spread so thin, and I know our energies are spread so thin because I've seen the way you schedule Right? You have to schedule the sin, the sin that you want to commit on your calendar in order to commit it, right? That's how overscheduled you are, right? And I mean, that is so unfruitful, right? But that, that's the reality of our lives, isn't it, right? We, we can't even commit to them. We can't even commit to being bad because it's not pre-scheduled, right? That's how overcommitted we are. And so, you know, I know I see some of you patting yourself on the back, but really this is not the way we need to live, right? We're spending too much energy on unfruitful things, and we're spending it unwisely. Now, if as a disciple of Jesus, we're called to live a fruitful life, we're not called to just living a life full of potential, which is what happens when our lives are not pruned, right? Being fruitful is not about having lots of tiny fruit hanging here and there. It's about having ripe, delicious fruit that can be harvested by the planter, right? That's what needs to happen. And in order for that to happen, we need to submit to God for pruning. How many of us have submitted to God for pruning? I mean, like, it's such a hard thing, but we haven't, right? And I mean, it's going to hurt, yes, but that's what we need to do, because we're cutting off pieces and parts that are alive that we want to make less so that we can see fruit in areas that God wants. Verse 3, God's already started this process. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is a reference right here to the idea of justification we were talking about in John 13. We talked about this four weeks ago. But very briefly, justification. It's what happens when a person, through grace alone, through faith alone, is united to Jesus Christ and the work of his cross, right? It's the legal standing that we have before God because Jesus pays for our sins by his blood. Our justification, our legal standing before God, the very moment that we give ourselves to him in faith, we're made holy. We're made pure because of it, right? And so we are clean. We are grafted as a part of it. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Abide here means to remain in, to be a part of. If we are a part of Jesus and his disciple, we get our identity and belonging from him. Some of us, we've been calling ourselves disciples of Jesus for so long, but we're still trying to grow fruit that was never intended to grow. We're trying to grow cucumbers when really we're supposed to be, you know, growing grapes. And so this is the wrong vine, that's the wrong vine, it's the wrong plant, it's the wrong fruit. We're never going to be fruitful that way, right? We are the branches off the true vine of God. The vine gives us the purpose. He gives us a purpose, that's what we have to understand. Our fruit need a purpose, right? When we abide in Jesus, when we are part of him, we bear the fruit of his purpose. His purpose is to be the way, the truth, and the, the life, to show people the Father, that is his purpose, to show people the Father. And when we abide in Jesus, we show people the Father. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are, isn't it? Right? Their their actions, their mentalities, their, their predispositions that say, hey, this is the Father. This is how you know the Father is in me. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. And that is our purpose, to show people, an unbelieving world, the Father. Because that is the purpose of Jesus. What would your life look like if you would actually abide in Jesus? I'm talking about following Jesus, following him, doing the things that he would do, speaking the words that he would speak, not just religious activity, but what Jesus does. If that was our purpose, and if that's supposed to be our purpose, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we doing well in abiding in him? Or are you like me, and sometimes you're not able to, you don't want to, or you do when it's convenient or advantageous. You abide when it's socially correct and acceptable, which is very limited, right? It's limited to when you go to church. It's definitely not limited when you talk to your neighbors. It's more unlimited when you've you got to watch the MSU game with a bunch of Ohio State guys, right? <laughs> Especially if you're a Michigan State fan, right? Like four, four in a row guys, come on, right? I mean, I'm guilty of not abiding in Jesus. I'm guilty of only abiding him in him when it's advantageous to me, when it's culturally acceptable. But that's not what abiding means. We can't ab- abide only in part. And in fact, when I was preparing the sermon, i have been wrestling with God because God's spirit kept telling me, all I want you to do, Jonathan, is abide. Just be a part of me. Just be a part of what I am doing because you're a branch. There's nothing that you can do for me because I am giving you everything. I am doing everything for you. That's how I'm going to glorify my Father, and that's how you're going to experience God's glory because everything short of that is worthless. Being fruitful requires us to understand and be committed to Jesus' purpose, to maximize the potential that we have toward that purpose. Are we abiding in God's purpose? are we abiding in God's purpose? And if the accomplishment of God's purpose is not in your life, then we desperately need pruning. We desperately need to ask God, prune us, prune me, prune me here and now, because there is nothing acceptable except the fruit of Jesus' purpose. I'm going to show you what what it looks like tangibly to to have the purpose of Jesus show up in your life. Verse 7, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You see, when we abide in Jesus, his word becomes a part of us. God's words begin to govern our lives, and it starts manifesting itself in the way we act, the way we talk, and the way we think. Does it manifest itself that way in your life? And if God's word is not governing our thoughts, our actions, and our speech, then who are we actually abiding in? That's the quick litmus test. You're not a disciple of Jesus just because you open up the Bible app once a day. That doesn't make you a disciple, right? To ruminate on God's word, that is what is being asked for here. That's what it means to abide in him and the word to abide in you. It's to apply in thoughts and actions and speech what the Word of God says to you. In fact, you know what? I, I want all of us to try this, to abide in the Word. If you're not in a Bible study or, or doing a study or spending um, some time doing a Bible reading plan, get in one. I'm doing one right now in the book of James in the month of October, right? And when you get in one and when you start doing a dive, whatever you read, however long it is, I want you to apply it three ways. Three ways. First, I want you to apply what you read in your thinking then I want you to apply it in the way you act. Then I want you to apply it in the way you speak and actually execute on those things. See how the word of God will change you as you abide in the word of God. Because when that happens, the way we pray starts to change. This is what Jesus is saying. When we start abiding in God's word, the way we pray changes, right? Our prayers start to abide in Jesus. Our prayers start to ask God to show himself to an unbelieving world. They don't become, God, be a genie in my bottle so that you can give me things. But they become, God, do something amazing that leaves me in awe and glorifies you. That's amazing. That's the type of prayers that we need to be praying. We need to be praying to, make, to ask God to make our lives fruitful because it's going to bring him glory. And when we actually pray, God, bring glory, bring your glory in our lives, guess what? The Bible says Jesus will do it. God will do it for us because that's what we're praying. Uh, let, let me tell you how this passage starts. Let me just remind you Jesus is telling us that the Father is the vine dresser. We abide in the vine, and we yield to how the vine gives us purpose. But the vine is being dressed by the vine dresser, right? The fruit that the vine produces is exactly what the vine dresser wants. And so when we yield that way, when we abide that way, God gets his glory. God gets what he always wanted, right? Our prayers become an expression of that. There is a supernatural impossible waiting to be unleashed in you and through you because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and we are in Christ, right? Because God is waiting for us to pray boldly, boldly so that he would be glorified in our lives. I've been praying this one prayer for our church family for this year, that God would show us his awe, that he would show us and leave us in awe of his glory, And i ask god seven ways of how that's going to present itself because you know what my prayers want want to be specific i want to specifically ask god i want you to leave us in awe in these seven ways the first way is that he would make us worthy of his calling and fulfill every good work of ministry that we undertake by his power that's what you're doing every ministry that you undertake that he would make you worthy of doing it that spiritual wisdom and understanding would fill every single one of us so that we will not stumble and fall when everybody else is that our dedication to abiding in jesus would make us distinct in our society and culture especially when society and culture is trying to consume us that we would have meaningful and transparent relationships that would become the norm of our lives that our children and teenagers would be discipled by adults not the programs we create. That we would be bold enough to share the gospel with outsiders and become witnesses unafraid of persecution by doing good works, right? That our workplaces, our careers, our homes would be a place the gospel traverses for the glory of God. And can I report, because I meet with a lot of you during the week, that as the vine dresser, God has been answering these prayers in your life. All we have to do is open our eyes, open our ears, and see and hear what's happening because churches that don't have campus pastors or don't have senior pastors are not supposed to thrive in this way where God's awe is left in all of us so that we can taste it, but that's exactly what is happening here at our church. God's glory is being manifested through us, in us, in every single way. We need to see it. We need to see it. We need to continue to abide in it. And that's the reason why some of you continue to give so generously, because you are a faithful partner knowing that God is glorifying Himself in us, right here, right now. So we keep praying that, that God would be glorified in us and the world will know whose disciples we are. So we keep submitting ourselves to the word every single day in our thoughts, in our actions, in our speech, and it bleeds over into our prayers. And I know for some of us, prayer is not the most fun part of spiritual discipline. I know it's not mine, but I want the glory of God to manifest itself more than I don't like the act of praying, than how hard it is. And so I want to ask all of you to join me in praying these things with me, right, this week, that unbelievers would continue to find themselves being loved and receiving the gospel because of you, right? I want you to pray that unity and harmony define our relationships, I want you to pray that God's spirit will fill each and every one of us from the oldest to the youngest, that there would be signs and wonders and healing that would happen that would point to the glory of God, that miraculous deliverance in all circumstances of abuse and trauma and addiction will be present in our lives because that is what's going to point people to Jesus, to God, to say God's glory is here. Let's keep going. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This goes back to last week when we read in John 14, if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. And we keep his commandments and we love Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the result of Jesus' love that is that we experience the Helper. That we will never be left as orphans and so the next time that our identity is attacked the next time our belonging or purpose is questioned we have to remember that we are loved by god and you may not feel the love but you are loved right and remaining in god's love will give us peace remaining in god's love will give us peace not like the peace that the world gives but peace that jesus gives so that we would never be troubled or afraid of following his commandments that's the type of love that god gives The father's love for his son overcame the world and us being in the son we experience the same love of god that overcomes the world and it's a miracle for you and me to continue to be encouraged this way it's a miracle for us to continue to be pruned by the father because god's love continues to fill our lives despite the things that are growing on it right if you need to feel the love of god this season i want to encourage you After the service, come up to the front. Be prayed for so that you can have the supernatural peace that Jesus gives. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the mark of a fruitful life is a joyful life. If the disciples of Jesus produce fruitful lives and the mark of that fruitfulness is joy, then the disciples of Jesus must overflow in joy. You see, purpose allows us to be joyful. Abiding in Christ allows us to be joyful. And joy will manifest itself in our lives in the face of trials declaring that our faith has persevered. Joy will manifest itself in our lives as it overflows with hope because the Holy Spirit gives us strength. Joy will manifest itself in our lives because we are refreshed when we remember Jesus' sacrifice. Joy will manifest itself in our lives as it cries out and shouts praise to God about who we are, accepted as children of God. Joy manifests itself to affirm us, to be approved and loved by God. You see, joy manifests itself in our lives with a supernatural peace. That's the fruit. That's the life of a disciple. Let's pray. Father, the joy of our life is your son. It's a peace that overcomes all understanding, that surpasses all knowledge. And God, you gave us a part of yourself when you made us your children. God, you made us a part of your family by faith alone, through your grace. And God, you gave us an identity that we would never be ashamed of. And then you told us, God, that we need to be fruitful as a result. And God, we are fruitful, but only when we abide in your love. And Lord, we want to submit to your love right now, right here, so that you can continue to work to sanctify us, to sanctify us for your purposes, for your glory, because that is exactly what we desire. That's our hope. Lord, we bow before you, knowing that the riches of your glory are going to be granted to us, that your spirit will strengthen us in your power. And I ask that in our hearts and in our minds, that we can witness the faith, that you give us to take root and change the way we live. Lord, let the love of your Son, the love that surpasses all knowledge, fill us with that joy again. We ask because this is what you do for us, according to the power of your work, so that your glory can be manifested here, not only in our lives, but in every subsequent generation that we influence. Lord, we pray that the fruit of our lives will glorify you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.